As Jesus taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearances say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then Jesus called his disciples to them. Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's really hot in here, but we may need to close the doors if there's drag racing happening on Peachtree Street. Thank you, guys. I realized as I was studying this text from Mark for tonight that all of my sermons (laughs) this fall at this service have been from Mark's gospel. Following the lectionary can sometimes do that. It can give you the benefit of seeing a story develop over time. It can give you a narrative that crosses weeks. And for me, this time with Mark's gospel has been one of seeing different lessons of Jesus to his disciples and seeing that they were in their time and probably should be in our time radical messages. A few weeks ago, we looked at the moment when Jesus welcomed blind Bartimaeus to him and told Bartimaeus that his faith had restored his sight. A few weeks before that, we heard Jesus' teaching about the little children scolding his disciples who were arguing among themselves about which of them was the greatest and telling them that they should become like little children in his name. The pattern maybe isn't so hard to see. Jesus is interacting with and uplifting the poor and the vulnerable. And here, as we plug in at another point on Jesus' journey with his disciples, another teaching to them as he prepares ultimately to leave them, we have Jesus' observations about a poor widow. I heard that second part of today's text, that story about the the poor widow, the widow's mite. Did y'all grow up hearing it called the story of the widow's mite? I heard it all the time when I was growing up because it's one of my Southern Baptist grandmother's favorite stories in the whole Bible. And frankly, until this week, I hadn't thought too hard about why she held so fast to this story. My grandmother's 86. She's the daughter, sister, and aunt of farmers who worked that sandy soil of eastern North Carolina. Lisa Bondrant's from that same part of the world. She has what she needs now, but she has always worked hard. And at times in her life, she was downright poor. There's no other way to say it. And she's twice widowed. My grandmother's never once talked with me about being a widow. She's never told me that that was hard. She was widowed first 30 years ago, and again three years ago. So I assume that this is hard for her. She wears a necklace most days, 
that is a very tiny coin, a widow's mite, that is a reminder of this moment of Jesus uplifting the widow. In our day and age, it, it certainly isn't true that all widows are poor or vulnerable, but in the first century, a husbandless woman would have been the most among the most vulnerable of people. She would have had no status, no protection, no property of her own. Last week, if y'all were here, actually, Alan preached from the book of Ruth, which is a story about widows <laughs> who hold themselves together in a world where they have nothing and essentially are nothing on their own. And the widow who here in Mark's gospel puts two coins into the treasury is even more vulnerable because Mark tells us that she's also poor. A poor widow, a person who, like a beggar or a child, would have been ignored and even shunned in her world. But a person who, like a beggar or a child, is recognized, even singled out by Jesus Christ. It's no wonder then that my grandmother finds comfort in this story. Jesus singles out the widows and teaches his disciples that even the small amount of money that widow put into the temple coffers is more than all the contributions of the wealthy. In fact, this text is often read to be about contributions, about money. Raise your hand if that's the context in which you've heard this story. The widow gave her most treasured pennies, so should you, right? That's how it's usually read. Jesus seems to be lifting up the contribution of a vulnerable woman who's given away her livelihood. Mark, it's not just two pennies that meant a lot to her. It was the last thing she had. So a lot of people over a lot of time have read this as an instruction to divest ourselves of our (coughs) earthly wealth, to give our money away, to up our pledges and dig deeper. And please don't mishear me. Those are good things to do. (laughs) I saw Faye Webster here. I don't want to report to go back to our stewardship chair that I told everyone not to pledge. Please pledge. (laughs) But the poor widow is not in this text because she's a shining example of pledging or giving generously. In fact, her contribution to the temple treasury probably wasn't voluntary. And looking at the greater context of this passage... Jesus has just predicted the destruction of the temple. He wasn't going around telling people to give money to it. He was concerned that the temple leaders were corrupt. So Jesus is not praising this poor widow for a sacrificial gift. Her gift is beyond sacrificial. She's just given the last penny she had to her name. Jesus is not advocating for a world in which everyone is living in poverty because they've given their last pennies to the church. When Jesus says that the poor widow has put in more than all the wealthy people who've been contributing, you'll notice that he doesn't mention the widow's faith or her motives for giving. He doesn't make of her a saint, but he is more concerned with the system that has left her poor and vulnerable in a situation where she has to give her very last to the temple coffers. The story of the widow's mite is often read by itself as a model for good stewardship, 
but in fact, it is inextricably linked with the story that comes just before it, the passage in which Jesus denounces the scribes. The scribes may, in fact, be the source for the real lesson about stewardship this text teaches. By way of context, the scribes appear pretty often in Mark's gospel. They're scholar types. Not that scholar types are bad or unfaithful, (laughs) as Parker and my husband, who's a professor, can attest. They are very faithful people, those scholar types. But the scribes are scholarly sorts who interpret Jewish law. And for the most part, when they appear in Mark's gospel, they're challenging and even sometimes opposing Jesus' teachings. They're questioning and pushing. They're fixtures around the temple. And as we read in today's text, we get a poignant picture of how they act. See this with me. Jesus is teaching, and he sees these folks walking around the temple. They presumably know a lot, and they expect special treatment as a result. Mark tells us that they even dress to look important, that they like to walk around in long robes. Maybe that says something about academic regalia. I'm not sure that they expect to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to have special seats at the head tables at banquets. They care about being seen and respected. Even their religious practices are designed to make them look good. Mark tells us that they say long prayers for the sake of appearances. Well, you better keep it short when we get to the prayers of the people in a few minutes. In our worldview... The scribes have all the markings of people who could do a lot of good. They're knowledgeable and educated and prominent and visible in their community. But, and here's the link between the scribes and the poor widow, Jesus tells us that the scribes devour widows' houses. That's an image I don't think we hear very often. They devour widows' houses. The self-important scribes are not only not protecting the poor, but they're taking the meager resources the poor do have, leaving them with nothing. The scribes are part of the system that has left the widow poor with only two coins left to give. And what does Jesus say about the scribes? that they will receive the greater condemnation. Knowledge and rightness cannot save them. So long as they devour widows' houses, so long as they take the temple contributions of the poor, but leave them poor. Today's psalm, Parker just read, tells us the same thing. The psalmist said, God keeps faith forever executes justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets the prisoners free, opens the eyes of the blind, timely since we just read Bartimaeus, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down, the Lord loves the righteous, the Lord watches over the strangers, he upholds the orphan and the widow, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The psalmist contrasts the wicked on one hand with the oppressed and hungry and prisoners and blind, those who are bowed down, strangers, orphans, and widows. 
Jesus contrasts the scribes with the poor widow. What do the wicked and the scribes have in common? That they are not upholding the orphan and the widow, or worse, that they're holding them down. This lesson is one about stewardship. But Jesus, from his seat opposite, on the other side of the treasury, is concerned about more than the amount of anyone's contribution. He's concerned about the one, what the ones with resources are doing for the ones without. He's concerned that the temple treasury has left a widow even more vulnerable than she already was. And he's concerned that the scribes are more concerned with their long robes and long prayers than they are about the poor in their midst. And there's one more thing. While Jesus does not denounce the rich people who are going to the treasury to put in their contributions, even large sums, the text tells us, he says that unlike the widow, those rich people have given out of their abundance. Now, abundance could be anything, not just money. It can be your spare time. It can be that energy where you feel like, maybe I'll go do something. It can be your money. We have abundance in a lot of ways. In fact, I recently heard a preacher who was doing a stewardship campaign sermon ask a congregation, and I don't want you to raise your hands, but ask the congregation to raise their hands if they could say to the penny how much money they had in their checking account or in their pocket. I don't know who raised their hands, but I imagine not that many people. To the penny? Maybe not that many people. And his point was simple and striking, that if you don't know, then you don't need every penny that's in there. If you needed every one of those pennies, you would know just how many you have. So the rich people who've come to give their contributions are giving only out of their abundance. I said that I think this is a lesson about stewardship that reaches far beyond money. So I wonder, are we being good stewards of our time and talents and treasure? Are we stewards of our treasured role as neighbor to people who don't look like us or live near us or have what we have? Do we pay attention to systems that would take a poor widow's last coins? And when we do see those systems, do we have the time and the gumption to speak out against them? Are we giving safely and maybe even with some self-congratulation from our abundance? Only from whatever extra time or energy or money we find in our lives? Are we even giving so that our giving will be recognized and so that we will be respected and have our names listed in the program or have a seat at a particular table or be greeted in our marketplace? Probably not on purpose. I know almost all of you, and you are good souls. But those appearances are attractive to us. They sneak up on us, and it feels right good to have someone notice that you're giving a lot of energy or time or support. But if no one saw, 
would we still give? If there weren't any extra time or energy or money, would we still give? If we stood right in front of a poor widow, would we still give? Jesus did, and friends, he calls us to do the same. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.